So, Fishman, what are you doing at this moment? He'd probably find himself back on the Polaris. Would Rue perhaps be on the Polaris? Yeah, Rue would probably actually be looking like they're sort of about to leave, I guess. They've got like a little basket and they're sort of chatting to Ham up on deck. And then Rue sees probably Fishman like as he's arriving or something like that. Oh, Mr. Fishman, I was hoping to find you. What a good coincidence. Finding me, Rue? Yes, you specifically, Mr. Fishman. And their eyes sort of flashed a bit of a brighter white. I was wondering, since we left in a hurry last time, you were going to show Master and myself what your favourite place was. Does the offer still stand? Rook inclines his head to the side in sort of a manner that, especially Fishman, because he has a bit of an affinity with animals, is distinctly bird-like. The offer always stands. It's not like a private place or anything. It is quite the trek, however. When you're ready, follow me. And Rook crouches down very low and seems to pat Ham. You may have to stay here for now, but do not worry. I will bring you a souvenir upon my return. Make sure you behave yourself. The crew can keep him company. Yes, Ham is very well behaved. I will see you soon, Ham. I am going to learn more about Mr. Fishman. And then Rook hooks the little basket back over their shoulder and then turns and nods. We shall Um, go now then, if that is your convenience. Absolutely. Fishman would probably direct Rue into like the Docklands area through what I believe were like markets last time we were there. But we eventually would have begun leaving that area, continuing along the shoreline. Not too far away that it's rural, Mm. but still far enough away that the hustle and bustle is in the distance, almost unnoticeable. Fishman would have taken you up to a tall bank with a single tree that overlooks a cape in the shore. And once he got there, sat down at the tree and took out his book. It's not hard to see, depending on the weather. What, what would you say the weather is like? Reasonably clear. It shouldn't be hard to see then that in that cape, there's a very distinguishable landmark. Namely two large stones. And if you look close enough, it looks like there's some kind of like cavity or something in the middle of them. But it looks like, whilst they are natural, there seems to be like wreaths of flowers and such put around it. Almost shrine-like. But yeah, and um, Fishman will probably sit down and gesture for Rue to sit down as well. Rude probably been quite quiet unless Fishman's been trying to chat to them. For no particular reason, they just seem to really need to bother to chat all the time. And they sit down so they crouch really low and then fix their legs in like a way they're like sitting. This is a very nice place. I like the tranquility here. It is calm and usually quite secluded. It's beautiful. A place to think. He'll probably gesture back to his book at the moment. This place does have significance for me. This would probably be my most visited place that I can remember. I simply feel drawn to it. And it's quite hard to describe, but I have written down some things that I've just passed the time, some scribbles, if you'd oh, like wow. me to read them. Perhaps that would share some deeper meaning. It's it's quite surreal. And then, yeah, Fishman will probably go through his book and, like, flip between the pages, mm. trying to find certain entries 
This place brings me a cold warmth, an empty embrace, and a reserved immediacy. Like I said, it, these things I just scribble. It's more of, of a feeling than any logic behind it. It's Their feelings, though, most incredibly important. I mean, I have a few more, if you don't mind. Please continue. You have a very pleasant reading voice. This one's more in kind of like a poetic form, I guess you could say. <laughs> and I will just say, this place, if you look in the distance, do you see those rocks? Yes. Have you heard of the eyes of Zamatsan? I have not heard of this. Please elaborate. Zamatsan is the Great Mother. They looked after these owls many a time ago. So that is a place of worship? Not officially, that I would say. But it has a name, and with that name comes meaning. Fishman will go back to his book, and after a time just start reciting what's in there. Caring and divine, mother's blessing overseas. A moment's respite. It is a place of beauty shrouded by the ferocity of the sea. An idol of something unmoving, smothered by the ocean's unstoppable fury. Rudis looks at Fishman, then looks out uh, towards the little structure, looks back at him again, excitement. He'll probably slightly aggressively flip through the pages because he swears he wrote something else, <laughs> um, but he just can't find it. And he'll go, ah, I also remember writing this one. The fierce wind will stop. The stormy waves would also halt. But will those innocent eyes hidden in the sea never stop to watch? Ever there and over all, what have they seen? I wish I could sample a small story of which they'd have ample. That is a fantastic story. This is sort of like your muse, I suppose. My mentor would have been much impressed by this. He was very preoccupied with science, but also with song and sound. Perhaps I'd also enjoy Nerys's favorite oh, places. This is true. Have you been to the opera before? Occasionally, but it's not my cup of tea, so to speak. Really, for you, creativity and music and songs appreciate me in peaceful solitude. Although I much appreciate you sharing it with me. Do you have a connection with this god? Not that I am aware of, at least. I know that they are just generally worshipped, especially in this area. They are known for a time of paradise, and with that comes great rapport. It is a nice thing to think of and take solace in. It is a very beautiful place. It is interesting you feel such polar feelings about it and are so inspired. Perhaps it is part of your past or your future. You are beginning to sound like Nerys. Oh dear, I would hope not. Perhaps it's best to just enjoy the present for the time being then. It's not often I can share this place with others. People are usually quite busy. It is a nice journey. And if the reward at the end is to learn more about you, and your own words, and your own song, then I think it is worthwhile. I hope many more will be able to walk it with you. 
Fishman will probably do some more scribbles, but turn back to the page with the poem that was like, Innocent eyes hidden in the sea, never stop to watch, what have they seen? I wish to sample, blah, 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 ample. Mm. Um, and he'll probably start circling those last couple of lines with a couple of dots with his pen, yeah. and then close his book. I have an idea. Would you share it with me? Would you perhaps... Yes. like to go on a bit of an adventure. It seems I've been going on one for quite some time. From what I can see, there is perhaps something in the eyes of Zamsu. And whilst I've had the idea of going in there, I've always reveled in the idea of sharing the experience. Would you perhaps join me? Rue seems to perk up more and more as you're saying this, and then you notice their eyes are flashing like this brighter white, which you would start to piece together as joy. And then they just sort of nod very vigorously. I would love to. Now, Darby, I'm just wondering, how submerged is the eyes of some sort? If you go all the way in, it probably gets to the point where it would be a decent way above your head. But you can go a decent way in without completely submerging yourself as well. I have some preparations, but we should be able to get going quite shortly. And Fishman will probably light his candle and go through his bag to see if there's anything he can leave markings with. And then <laughs> once he's got all that ready, he'll get ready to go and, um, so yeah, start making his way down. Rook's a little bit nervous, but keeps looking up at the fact that it's not raining. That's fair. They seem to calm for some reason, and then they'll follow Fishman. But, yeah, what what do we see as we get closer to Derby? Because I know the way I described it was that whilst it's not a proper place of worship... It does have the name of significance, and I'm assuming there would be like idols, totems, trinkets left. Usually, I would imagine they would be placed outside. There's a little bit in the way of um, some older carvings that have been mostly washed away through erosion, almost polished. Because it's an island and ultimately it opens into the ocean, there's not a lot that's necessarily left. Most of what gets left here tends to get taken into the greater ocean. But that's also kind of the point with a lot of the offerings here. Given that Zamatsan is seen to have domain over the oceans, and so you place any offerings to her into the oceans where they will go who knows where. This is a beautiful spot. <laughs> Rue's like head's probably just bobbing over <laughs> the water. <laughs> Do you feel any different here, closer to them? Not particularly. It's well. just simply tranquil here. And then um, Rue seems to reach for something. And then pulls out, very wet now, a couple of different sprigs of some plants or something. I was going to bring this to make some tea with, but would you like to leave them as an offering anyway? I think that's a fantastic idea. Alright. Well, you're better at climbing. Would you like to put it at the top? You can um, use me as a boost if you wish. Alright. And so, <laughs> I guess, yeah, Fishman will take up on that offer and kind of use Rue as a boost and try and make his way up. He'll probably look for like some natural shelving up on a higher level. And when the tide rises, I'm assuming that it would eventually reach that shelf. He'll put the weed, uh, the tea ingredients down. Um, he'll probably climb down once he's done that. Go, Successful um, mission? Absolutely. Yes, another one for the Polaris. 
Ah, uh, yes, we should talk it up. You'll have to tell Mr. Tibble all about it when he's feeling better. I'm sure they'd want to see it for themselves. Perhaps you can bring him. I can always carry him if he does not wish to walk. Then you can share more of yourself with others. I think that would be wonderful. Do you? There is a warming thought, perhaps Ooh. sharing this with the entire crew. But I know we cannot all leave the ship at once, and I know that of everyone is quite busy. I wouldn't burden them with something like this. I must ask, have you spoken with Mr. Norris lately? I'm afraid I have not had the chance, and I am worried, I suppose. He has a very delicate disposition. This must be a great strain upon him, even if it does give him a chance to change the course of the ship for now. I am suspicious that whilst they may be looking after the ship and the Polaris and its crew, they may not be looking after themselves. That is a concern I also have. But also, I haven't had the opportunity to speak with Anaris. He seems to be everywhere at once, but never where I need him to be when I wish to speak with him. It is much the same. He needs to do what he can, though. Apparently he has spoken a little to Mr. Janus, who I have only recently made acquaintances with. Your thoughts on Janus? Well, I cannot speak at great length. I have patient Dr. Confidentiality now. But he seems like a very nice man. It is sad what has occurred to him. It is. But I am glad he's back. Whether or not he sees that as a positive or a negative is up to him. But it's good to see a lost friend again. I'm more so concerned about what they want to do and what they wish to do in the coming days, weeks, and months. I suppose that remains to be seen of any of us. We shall what have are your to see. intentions, Ruth? I am still not sure. We have spoken only briefly about our shared similarities of our missing memories. I had a vision the day that I left with the Polaris, and I found my mentor with my new friends beside me. And so at this point, unless I hear anything different, I will remain and assist as best I can. I would very much like that vision that I had to be the future. I suddenly consider you a friend. And that is mutual. And that but is all I need for now. I hope that you and Ham stay for as long as you can. You are great company. Enough about other people, though. We're halfway in a cave. Would we like to go see how far we can go? Let us give it a try. And uh, I guess with that, Fishman will probably use his candle to go looking around, see if he can find anything interesting. Rue will kind of do the same for Fossa King. Unless there is something at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> we'll probably just leave it there. We get murdered. <laughs> yeah. It's a monster, we die too. Lorraine is yeah. actually there. Yeah, Lorraine's there, we die. <laughs> well, hello there. <laughs> Well, Surprise combat! So, just like <laughs> so, Neris, you are on the Polaris at this point in time, and what are you doing? So very early in the morning, as the sun is coming up, Neris has spent the last couple of hours going over his notes, um, trying to do everything he possibly can to not fall asleep again, because that was uh, not a good experience, so he'd not like to do that again. So when he thinks it's about a good time, when he can start to hear motion on the deck, he's going to leave his quarters, do a bit of a check-up on the ship, and so Neris goes about his business, but he is very specifically looking for Janice. 
Right, so normally Janice would be already up instructing the deck crew. You'd be here like the little whistle that he used to have would be just like making instructions. You don't hear that, but as Nerys was making his rounds around the ship, he noticed the shirt Janice was wearing yesterday. It's just sort of hanging over the railing of the ship. And then I suppose Nerys would investigate further? Uh, absolutely. And then if he looks further over the railing, his eyes might pick up the sort of like a dark, large shape stirring up under the water, causing noticeable movement. If you look a couple of moments longer, a dark fin reaches the surface before like a large, broad snout, and then a flash of wicked rows of teeth and small eyes looking up towards you. Not dark like a regular shark, but golden, sort of glowing with the white pupils, just like Janice has in his humanoid shape, which belies that this is not a regular shark. This is Janice in his full non-hybrid shark form. Janice as a shark is similar to a great white, which is one of the largest sharks in the world. Very broad and like flashes of scars and stuff like that, but it's just this big sharky snout just peeps up. And then after a moment, it's a big splash of water and it rolls over so you can see like the white underbelly. Rolls over and then flips back up to look back up at you again. Right, okay. Um, excellent. Bolson. The crew around you don't really seem to be paying much notice. And then he dips down and disappears. And then there's a big surge of water and there's a huge splash. So this tremendous shape arcs up out of the waves, much, much higher than a regular king of the seas. And it's this movement and the shining of the morning sun, I guess, that might blind nose to rarely from a dark stretch of storm gray wings of shifting skin and water. And almost out of nowhere, Florit is suddenly there throwing this big tarp blanket over the now bipedal form of Janice back in his humanoid form, which covers all the necessary bits, I suppose. Oh, I will of course note, of course he is wearing the necklace. <laughs> it looks like it's been kind of extended a little bit with like some leather but to fit around the shark head, but like, um, yeah, it's still he's still wearing that. <laughs> and he's just sopping wet, heavily tattooed as well. Quartermaster! Neris. Uh, who I'm assuming now is at least mildly damp. Uh, <laughs> yes, um, absolutely. It's just sort of there, kind of taken aback. <clears throat> Good morning. Oh, it goes to like press the edge of the top to nerves and then thinks better of it. It's like, I'll go tell, Captain. <laughs> Perfect, thank you, Florette. Wonderful morning, isn't it? Uh, Nerys looks up. Are there any hint of storm clouds? No. It is indeed. My apologies, I'll be uh, ready in a moment. I've been a long time since I've gone for a swim. Oh, of course. You have a newfound fruit and you must enjoy it. So just like looks around and just awkwardly starts putting on like this shirt. Yes, no, I appreciate that again. It's wonderful to be at peace in the sea once again, the return to the primordial mother and cradle of all things, after all. My apologies for sharing some of the dampness with you, though. It is fine. It is part of uh, the charm of being on board a seaborne vessel. Of course, you're very right. <laughs> probably by this point, Florent probably runs back with a towel. He just like scrubs his head, shakes off some more water, and then just like pulls his shirt back on. Probably shaking more water on Tenera's by accident, of course. <clears throat> well, um, I'm not interrupting you, am I? No, of course not. How can I be of assistance? Captain. I was wondering if we could have a discussion, uh, a follow-up on your report of the Sinzakers. Oh, of course. And his demeanor says that, like, careful schooling, 
which is difficult to do as probably Florent then runs back again with like his pants. <laughs> um, he's like, I will be but a moment. And then he just sort of just <laughs> shucks back onto his pants and like, okay, absolutely. Where would you like me to give the report? Right here? Perhaps my office, if you would not mind. Ah, yes, of course. Uh, lead the way, Captain. The nurse will give a, a cursory smile, albeit a damped one, uh, before he marches his way back. And just before he steps foot in his study, he does stop and just kind of take a little bit of time to just kind of like brush some of the, the water off his arm and in his chest. And in doing so, he's using like a shaped water to kind of almost statically remove some of that water oh, off him so with cool. every stroke as he's trying to dry himself with a fairly simple piece of magic. I could do that sometimes. You're very talented. Well, you know, it is part of the charm of being a wizard. You get to use magic. And then we'll... Impressive. Open the door to his study, walk in, and take a seat. Excellent. And so Janus is again attempting to be very professional, but he does as he's striding, he sort of looks over um, and then notices like the little cage that Toad lives in. He's like, oh, good morning, Mr. Toad, looking moist as ever. Glad to see you're still doing well. <laughs> Janus just grins as Toad makes a little croak. <laughs> and Neris will just stay seated at his desk. Um. <laughs> Janus is nonplussed. Does not interact with that conversation whatsoever. <laughs> Janus is very nonplussed, and my soul was naked about like five minutes ago. Folds his arms and then snaps to attention. So, um, the Sin Seekers, um, I can tell you what I know, I suppose. I again apologize, there is not a great deal. They are who you know them to be, or at least I know as much as you might, I suppose. They do keep me in the dark quite a bit. So. And it's almost like he's just mentally checking stuff, which is a lot more in line with like whenever Janice has been giving reports or like has been checking over like when the sun has been rising or setting and like needs to be fixed. So there's the leader, Silenon, extremely persuasive and able to change his appearance, or at least he was able to in the past, as you know. He walked under another name before. Um, on my previous travels on other ships, Sort of very charismatic, good at collecting people. And then there's Rot, uh, the big guy with the chains. He and I fought many a time while I was with them. I think it amused them to ask me to do so. I won't embarrass myself by telling you how many times I lost. Um, uh, Zardust is the big red fellow, long claws and froggy features. Didn't get too close to them. Probably best not to, honestly, though. I don't... I didn't get a very good, uh, as some of the deck crew say, vibe. Uh, Zam is the name of the wizard. I don't know much about him either, but he is good at making things happen in ways you first thought didn't. A little bit like you, Quartermaster. Sorry, Captain. I'm not sure how I would do things or think I'd won and then have not done it. Again, my memory is so hazy. And then there was Aloysius. He brought the food mostly, or what you could call it. As you might know, I have a very particular diet, so I don't always thrive under the standard gruel. I've been trying to compile a sort of report, but I can't really tell you much more about their goals or the things they require. They were 
very intent on keeping me on a need-to-know basis. I said, Saladon did keep mentioning the boss, which is interesting because he was, of course, the the boss family, as I once thought. Back in the day, when I first met him, but I have no idea who's leading them now. I only saw the boss instructing before we turned up on the ship yesterday, but it was in shadow. I don't know if they were really there. I was mainly sent on missions to retrieve things sometimes, to take care mostly of others standing in their way, you know. And so momentarily, sort of simultaneously, the edges of his mouth curl up a little to again reveal his sharp teeth. He sort of shifts his stance to hold his arms neatly behind his back instead of at, you know, at his hips. It's probably more to hide the apparent tremor in his hands, which is returned again. So Neris is absolutely taking notes. He has paused a couple of times to listen very intently to something that you're saying and the wording that you're saying um, mm. before he returns and writes his notes even quicker. And on this lapse into silence, Neris has looked at his notes, opened up his mouth to talk, and then seen Janice. Um, I don't know whether Janice is sitting on the footstool or is standing at this point. He probably is standing at this point. He probably like, sat down for a little bit and then stood up again. Yeah. And Neris has then closed his mouth to give a little bit more time to let Janice sort of recollect his thoughts a little bit. Yeah. And then after a period of time, he opens his mouth. <sighs> Are you comfortable if I ask you some questions? Fire away, Captain. What sort of items were you, was your team collecting during these missions, do you remember? Well, one has made me wonder of late. If you don't mind me bringing it up, I've been thinking again about the dream you mentioned. I appreciate you sharing it, of course. I don't know if it means anything, but you mentioned it was like an hourglass running out, right? It was. An hourglass of sand? What relevance does that have? He sort of like sits down and again like kind of stretches his legs out a bit shakes off a little bit of like <laughs> spare droplets of water onto Nurse's beautiful Not rug. Not the rug. Oh, oh. It's fine, it's fine. I can fix it. Yes. Well, I can't hang on it too much. The thoughts are hazy, but Sauron did mention something that makes me think of it. I don't know if it's anything to do with it, but you have dreams that are premonitions and you were concerned and I've been thinking about that and, well... They kept mentioning something called the Ancient Sands. I know not what it is, only that they had a fine interest in it. I don't know if it has anything to do with your dream, but even without memory or being told much, it's easy to know that they have great plans for the world and strength to do with it. And there was another thing, which I guess leads me to it. A few days ago, before, before I came back, I was deployed to assist digging on an island. Not sure the place, not one I visited before. I followed the Seeker's instructions, Silenons. We dug up something. I remember seeing something like it once as a child. It's called an orrery, I think. It's one of those planetary toys, you know, the sort, those devices. It had a glass dome half filled with sand in the center. I'm not sure what it was for, but, you know, I'm not as 
magically inclined. I don't know if it, had, it has any purpose for that. So perhaps it's nothing, but perhaps not, I guess. Just figured it was worth mentioning, you know. Considering the circumstances. One of the individuals that you mentioned. Yes. The wizard, Zayim. Yes, that was his name, I believe. You mentioned he had a different form of magic. It felt a little bit like what you use. Not that I have intimate experience with it. I don't know. Again, it's difficult to say if it was just a trick of the mind. It felt like something shift. Sometimes things shifted. Didn't carry around the normal half toad, at least not that I could see anyway. I suppose Saddle looked a bit like a toad, but not 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 as handsome as you, of course, Toad. Then he has no class if he does not carry around an orb. <laughs> That's true. No panache, <laughs> as they say. We don't we don't use that word here. Um, <clears throat> oh, okay. Divination magic does not shift. This might be something that I need to research a bit more. I do not mm-hmm. understand this sort of magic. My apologies. Perhaps I'm not describing it well. I wish I could help more. Not this something I'd experienced before either. Well, that is the joy of experiencing things. Sometimes you experience things that you have not experienced before, and that is how we learn. Definitely. It's what I prefer to do all the time. Ever reaching towards the horizon, after all. Ever reaching. <laughs> well, thank you very much for your report. If you remember anything else, please let me know. Of course, I will let you know at earliest convenience if anything else comes up. And Nick leans up with his like elbow against the table and is like, So anyway... Gaul suggested to ask, what happened to your nose? Neris opens and closes his mouth a few times here. His eyes are wide. And I think his left hand almost ex- like instinctively raises up towards his face before he catches it and pulls it back down again. Whatever could you mean? Oh, was he wrong? He just said that... I've, well, I was just sort of asking him about, you know how you two knew each other and then lamenting a few things and then he suggested that I should ask you about what happened to your nose. He suggested it. Yes. Oh, so you're being coy just then. Now that's interesting. That is not... It is not relevant to anything. Nothing happened to my nose. I don't know why he would spread such... such slander. Now, uh, now, Neros, I'm a teller of tall tales. That, that almost sounds like there is something to it now. There's a great truth here. It's fine. Everything is fine. It was a long time ago. A long we, time ago. Now you say that something has happened. No, it was just a, it's a story that he, he made up that is not has no shred of oh, truth whatsoever. You didn't tell me. Well, then what, what is hypothetically? It's not even a thing. It, he's, he's making up a story that something happened when it didn't. And it was just... He's very fond of telling stories. And, he um, is, yes. And that is, that is all it is. We should not, we should not bring any more light to, uh, to such falsities. 
Oh, we shouldn't bring any more lights to such falsities. Yes, you're right. I should definitely go and ask him about these lies then. You don't need to ask him. It's fine. You, this, it is well, better. You should save me the trouble. Forget. No, it's fine. It's nothing. Well, it's just like bickering. This is like leaning closer and closer and closer. A little big shark grin. Uh, Neris is getting tenser and tenser. <laughs> his eyes are wide and his head's kind of like jerking a little bit. And Neris says, Okay, if I tell you what the lie was, then we yes. can just blow it all out of the pond, yes? Of course, all out of the pond, as they say, yes. It's it's not even a, a thing. He just... <clears throat> I was asking some questions. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think... Gaul just didn't have uh, enough sleep that night um, and was gesticulating wildly, I'm sure. And um, he very aggressively attacked me. But of course, this was was all just uh, stories that he came up with. Yes, hypothetically. That is all. That's that's it. It doesn't... It had no bearing on anything. It doesn't... Did he break your nose, Norris? No, he didn't break my nose. It was mildly... I mean, it, hypothetically, it was nothing. Was, it was fine. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> my severe condolences, then. He shouldn't be telling tall tales like that. Yes, absolutely he should not. That is um, highly irregular. Even though we do not work together anymore, he should still have the professional courtesy to not... Lie to people that I work with. Well, it was a hypothetical thing. I mean, perhaps you know, I perhaps I prodded him too hard. You know, I teased the information out of him, and you know, he wasn't sure if it was true or not either. Of course. Well, it's just not. And of course, hypothetically speaking, I think you have a very fine nose. So you know, what's the harm done there? Well, yes, everything is fine. Good, of course. We're fine? Yes, of course, everything is fine. But, I mean, if I... If I ask you questions, you would not just wantonly punch someone in the face. That would be rude. Generally not, no. No, of course, which is why the story is completely false. Of course, of course, absolutely. (laughs) Nobody punches anybody for asking questions. No, what what, what sort of questions do you think they were, like, hypothetically speaking? Not, not, I'm sure, not important as a story in all. Of course, not at all. I will definitely never bring it up to him ever. Well, my apologies. Thank you for indulging me, my little curiosity, of course. I will, of course, let you know if I think of any further information. Yes, thank you. Um, That will... um, Thank you for your report. That will be all. And he just gets here still laying there for a little moment and then he just stands up and then just nods. Captain? Rawson? And then he will just leave? As soon as the door closes, Neris gets up and looks at his reflection in that glass cover that's preventing books from coming out from his bookshelf <laughs> and just, like, looks at his nose and adjusts the bridge a little bit and tries to see if there's any sort of break or anything. So, Kara, where do we find... You. So, Kara is in Rue's quarters. Um, I believe she would be sitting with Rue at the moment. She most likely is showing Rue a few signs. And I think the way that she's trying to teach Rue is 
almost with little rhyming games and sort of encouraging Rue to sign it along um, as they're talking. And I think it's a bit of a fun and lighter moment than what Rue has seen of Kara. While Kara has been under Rue's care, for lack of a better term, but more um, spending time with Rue between shutting herself away in the kitchens. A lot of the time it's more sombre. After a moment, she kind of looks down and then look, looks back up at you again, Rue, and she just signs a very simple phrase, something that I think you'd be able to identify of it's time. Rook nods. I see. I... And then Rook moves his hand and, like, points towards Kara, and then moves the same hand and, like, sticks his, like, long spindly thumb out and rotates it a bit and signs, are you okay with this? She reaches out and she takes one of Rue's hands and gives it a gentle squeeze. And she signs something. You catch the word friend, fear, and you catch the word love. She will then grab her pen and um, scratch down on her notebook. Thank you for being such a good friend, Drew. I can't live in fear of what I will find. I love him and he needs me. I shall accompany you along the way. She signs thank you again and takes your hand and starts towards the captain's quarters. I will also note, since she has been staying with Rue, and by extension Ham, Kara has been sneaking any kitchen scraps to back to Rue's room um, <laughs> for Ham as a safe alternative to um, Ham getting into Elton. Ham would love this, because I believe even though we've only been here a day or so like ham would just be like so restless not being allowed to wander around as much um but yeah rue will lead kara to tipple's quarters okay. they're very silent they seem to be like, like contemplating something but like having a look around and then um we stand out the front of there for a little while <laughs> we have a lot of movement going around on board of the ship as well as we get to the door of tipple's and also Kara's own quarters. Kara stops for a moment and she reaches up a paw to knock and you see this moment of hesitation that washes over her and after a moment she brushes it away and she knocks softly on the door to the captain's quarters. You hear thuds of like sounds like things are being moved and also you probably would have noticed that there's no light behind the doors it's just completely dark and then you hear out and clutter oh yes come in after a moment he'll go to open the door so when the door opens she looks up at elton and she just gives him a nod and then she signs to him i'm here to see tibble He's just putting his, like, shades back on. He you know, squints at the sign and then looks a little confused. I see Neris didn't tell you. Good on him. Uh, it's nothing bad. Tibble is fine. Neris has just moved him off the boat. Kara kind of freezes for a moment and then her face sort of shifts into a frown and Rue, you feel 
as her paw lets go of your hand. And Alton, Kara does something that she never really does in the kitchens when you're working together, where if she needs to get past you, she'll lightly tap you and wait for you to move. But she shoves past you. You see her as she shifts into the room and she stands near the bed. You would see Kara tense and she's just staring at this empty bed and she is frozen. She stands there for a good half a minute and she's just staring at this bed, eyes wide. Alton steps back to give her some space. Sorry about this. I know it's difficult. It took a lot of effort to come to see him. Fortunately, there wasn't much communication, but we can visit him at the hospital and I will look into making sure that it is a good establishment. As you're speaking, the more you tell her, the more she starts to finally move and shake. She kind of slumps down to the ground. And both of you actually being medical professionals, I think that you can both see an element of shock as well as the early signs of an oncoming panic attack. And Elson will uh, crouch down beside her and be like, oh boy, yeah, it's a rough one. Right, uh, Kara, deep breaths, nice and slow. He's safe. There's this hurried rush of loose words. I think the gist of it you get is that it can't be happening. This can't be, he needs to be here, he needs to be here. I can't go, I can't. Just very fast and very messy. And you can tell, like, her hands are shaking and she is doing it to try and communicate with you, but she can't slow herself down and she can't get herself to that point where she is usefully communicating to you. Uh, shit, listen, I never I never remember the numbers. Um, all right, Carver, so... I want you to focus on breathing slowly and can you feel the ground beneath your feet? I want you to really focus on the different sensations that you can feel in this room, all right? She's trying, but she's almost vibrating with this anxiety. And now the different things that you can hear, that you can smell. I want you to get back into your body for a bit. As you go through each of the steps with her and as Rue watches on, it takes maybe about five, ten minutes for her to stop shaking. She finally comes back to herself exhausted and worn and there's tears down her face, these frustrated tears. She slumps forward and her forehead presses against your arm. And just really awkwardly does like comforting (laughs) pat. (laughs) And you can tell it's more of a touch that she is using to ground herself further. And she blindly kind of reaches across to where her notebook and her quill had clattered. And after a moment, she just places it shakily into your hands. And you can see she's written, I can't leave the boat. And you kind of, as you read that, it might bring up a thought in your head of, like, you haven't been on the ship very long, but you think back, you've never seen Kara outside of the ship without Tibble. Every single time Kara's not been on the ship, as you continue reading, I don't know why, I don't know how, 
that when I leave, if I'm not with him, the world crushes around me. And if I am with him, it's still hard. Shit, yeah, that is a tough one. She shifts away and looks up at you and she signs to you, I can't see him. I want to, but I can't. No, I get you. There's some things that I just can't do or they're just a bit too difficult. For those, for those, for those of you listening along at home, Kara uh, has agoraphobia. Mm. Probably very much to Alton's mental distress. Suddenly, Rue is very, very close as well and stretches out a long black spidery arm out towards Kara's hand. Kara grabs Rue's arm and very gently pulls it forward and kind of hugs it. So Rue would be kind of bending over her as she's hugging his arm. (laughs) And then Rue just stares down at her arm blinking and then inclines the head slightly towards Alton. I did not realise this had happened so soon. Alton, you are surely going to go and visit her, are you not? Yes, of course. I need to check. Kara trusts and likes you very much. Kara just kind of looks between Rue and Alton and she nods and gives Alton like a weak little smile and then signs, of course, of and, course I do. And at, now, Alton will make sure that Dibble is well and will course. relay it to you, correct? And yes. Rue stares at you again, unblinking. <laughs> yes, of course, I can, I can describe it in detail. But that will not soothe your car. Perhaps it will in time bring you some rest. It took a great strength to come here in the first place. And when Ruth says that, Kara begins to cry again. But it isn't like as sad or as distressing as it was before. But she's nodding slowly. And I think you see this moment click over in her of trust. I guess would be the best way to describe it, but she kind of looks to both of you and signs, thank you, both of you, and then, sorry you had to see this. That's no problem at all. I know I've spent my fair share of time uh, trying to visit a cleric to get healed and crying on the doorstep, so... Taking from the eyes is quite a normal disposition for many of Neither of you should feel bad about it. In fact, for many, it can be a very healing thing. I, of course, do not possess tear ducts, but I am glad to see that both of yours are capable of functioning correctly. But for now... And then Rue kind of, like, folds their fingers to their chest and, like, makes the wee sign gesture and then moves that up into a sweep and then cups their um, sort of long hands into, like, this invisible, like, towards where their ear might be if they had ears. And um, signs, we are listening to Kara. <laughs> Kara just holds Rue's arm a little bit closer. <laughs> it's a poor, <laughs> awkward position for Rue. And that's that. So, Alton, you make your way to the hospital where you have been informed Tibble is being cared for. You find there's a gnome woman on the front desk. She looks up and says, Can I help you? 
Oh, uh, yes. And he's like struggling holding like a bunch of bags. Yes, yes. I am here to see a patient, if possible. Captain Tibble Clover. I am his, uh, the medic on his ship. Okay. I'll let the doctors know that there's someone here to see him, if he's good to be seen. Excellent. Uh, thank you very much. Also, really quickly, uh, does your hospital take donations, I suppose, for, like, medical equipment or anything of the sort? Donations are always appreciated, but we have to vet that kind of stuff. I'll have a talk to the doctors about what I'm working on, and maybe once it's all finished, we can see if it will work. I'll let them know. And you see, she almost seems to tap at the desk a couple of times at something you can't see, and just goes back to not paying attention to you or anything in the room. So when would I be able to see Tibble? The doctors will be out when they have an opportunity. Inside check. 13. She doesn't seem to be hiding anything other than possibly disdain for you, for her job, for life in general. Roll me a d4. That is... I don't have a physical default with me. Um, that's a three. You're waiting for three hours. Doctor. Comes into the waiting room. And... Looks around. Sees you're the only one waiting. Goes. Um... Medic of Tibble Clover. He like shakes himself like more awake. Oh, is it finally ready? Can I go see? Yes, you won't be able to speak to him, but we can discuss care needs and all that kind of thing for his recovery once he is able to be discharged. As you approach, he, on first glance, seems fairly normal human. But as you get a bit closer, you notice there are a little, maybe some sort of touch of the arcane or divine or planar of some sort about him. You're not sure what, because you're no expert in these things. It might be that he has some sort of planar confluence, or it might be that he is a sorcerer or could be any number of things. So he takes you through to what you gather is kind of the outside of the intensive care ward. Obviously, we keep things incredibly sterile here, so I can't permit you to actually go in to see him so as to avoid any foreign bodies, any possible contaminants that could interfere with the healing process. Obviously, the internal nature of the wound means he is at low risk of infection, but we do have to keep by our policies within the intensive care wards. Absolutely. I'm glad to see that you're following them. And yes, if if an infection or if you were to catch an illness of any kind, that would be quite uh, disastrous. Of course, uh, pain management is going to be the main focus. I do also have a proposal 
Uh, does your facility have any mechanical respirators? We have a small number of them, as you may be able to see. Your captain is hooked up to one right now. Interesting design. And you see the one that is in there is, like, you could see that he had a sort of mask on. But if you've ever seen pictures of computers from the 60s, even the smallest ones still take up. That's basically the situation here. There are some artificers who have managed more compact designs, but these were state-of-the-art when we um, had them purchased for the hospital and still remain in good working order. No, no, I, I, I see. No, I think I'm an early, early model of that. I was working on a project. I was wondering, I may be trying to make a respirator that is more portable. If I complete this, well, I could have it aboard the ship for if Tibble has need of it in the future, or if anyone else does. Or I could uh, donate it to you folks. Certainly sounds an interesting proposition. Of course, the latest best practice is the combined method, using both to uh, supplement the shortfalls of each. Absolutely. It's good to meet you, by the way, actually. What was your name? Dr. Kav. Dr. Kav, I'm Alden Damon. It's a pleasure to meet you. I'm glad to hear that my boss is under the care of, I don't know, someone who seems to know a bit about their profession. Uh, Where did you train? I have trained in many clinics over my lifetime. Any formal training or uh, primarily battlefield paramedicine? I do specialize in paramedicine, wound care. I also have quite an interest in management of chronic illnesses. I've done quite a range of medical practice over my lifespan. But yes, mostly apprenticeships is where I've gone, although I have done a little bit of solo work, solo research. Well, you seem to be reasonably knowledgeable on the practical side. I could only recommend and encourage you to seek formal education and uh, qualification when and if you have the opportunity. Yes, I will consider it, since it seems so necessary. No, thank you for this conversation. I will... Do you mind if I assist the captain from a distance? Of course. What do you need to know? I suppose his condition, his vitals are both fine, his pain is all being managed. He is being kept in a state of sleep, so no sensation of pain. Prognosis is good. Um, He should be back on his feet within the week. From there, he should be, especially if you're able to construct a portable respirator, uh, as you seem to have ideas on. He should be able to return to light duties after that point, and then we will have to see from there um, as far as more active duties. He should be able to, if all goes well, return to some sense of normalcy within a month at most. Thank you. It was very good to talk to you. I will take my leave. Thank you for this meeting. I'll be in touch, Dr. Kiev. Thank you for stopping by and taking such a keen interest in your captain's health. Of course, that's my job. 
I will say, I guess that as he he like looks at Tibble for a moment and tends to leave, maybe like going around like some of the staff members who are like rushing the facility, and maybe he'll get like a waft of some kind of like disinfectant. Like I don't know, he just like smells like the smells of like the hospital and this all this medical things going on, and for a moment he just gets this like wave of nausea and just gets very tense. <laughs> And then he will just swiftly leave. Neris, you find yourself heading at the apparent behest of the heads of the Hydra towards Eldrin's home in the gem fields of Ankathir, which is, of course, the wealthy district of the city. He is not all that difficult to find. There aren't too many structures here with a mage tower built into the structure. You approach the house. A couple of things just going up to yeah. the door itself. So Neris, he's got his little satchel with him, but he's not entirely sure why he's being summoned here. So he, to cover himself for everything, he's got all the different books that he normally carries with him, as well as a couple of notes on different types of magic. Just in case we're not talking about that, he's also got just like a couple of little pouches that he just absentmindedly threw in there and forgot to take out. Just of like little samples of tea that he's just had with him that just like, ah, you know, maybe just, I don't know if we're just having tea that's wild, right? And he's just sort of carrying that along with him as well. Also, on the way there, he's just going to have a quick look around the surroundings to see if he recognizes anything similar to what he has seen in a dream of this place. Um, no. This is not at all familiar. So, when you knock, a comically-sized, almost cartoonish mouth appears on the door. Greetings. Who goes thou? Neris has taken aback for the briefest of seconds. Neris Sololanti, interim captain of the Polaris. I was summoned here. There is a moment... Before the mouth says, You may enter! Before the door opens inwards, as if beckoning you in. Nurse will enter. Alright. You see a decadently appointed home. It has a few magical-looking trinkets, but other than that, most of it is odd bits and pieces of lavish decorations. One thing that almost seems a little out of place is a model ship that you're not sure, but there's something that doesn't quite seem right about it based on your experiences on such vessels. Can we investigate this ship? Roll me an investigation check. Simple as that. 14. It's hard to tell. It feels like something's missing. There's something in the back of your head nagging you. It should be very obvious what's missing here, but you cannot place it. Odd. We continue into the house then, I guess. On the landing, you notice a figure that you immediately recognise as Eldrin. Ah, Nerus, how good of you to finally find the time to join me. Your adventures have kept you well, I trust? As well as the mercenary life can. Of course, of course. So, uh, have you encountered much more animancy on your journeys? Unfortunately, I have not um, encountered much 
in that regard as of yet. Uh, however, I am planning on attempting to gather a lot more research in the coming weeks or months. Pity, pity. I take it you've come to uh, compare notes. That was my intention, yes. However, mm. unfortunately, I do not have very many notes to compare. It is perfectly fine. Sometimes there can be much gleaned from use of a sounding board, so to speak. Something that might present itself as obvious to you might have uh, completely eluded me. It is through the sharing of research that we truly further the arcane arts. Of course, absolutely. It is good to see someone else with the right mentality. Yes, there are some that I have encountered in my time with the Augury who are very cagey about anything they discover. And I feel it's much to the detriment of the greater potential of the arcane. Alas, I have not had many encounters with the Augury. My adventures have taken me elsewhere. However, I'm sure despite their reluctance, I'm sure they have knowledge to share. It's getting them to agree to share it that might be the difficult part. However, I'm not so tight-lipped. Would you care to follow me through to my study? Of course. And he leads you through to a library of sorts, um, with a workbench and writing desk side by side, almost in an L shape at one corner of the room. The workbench and writing desk are probably the one section of the room where things look to be at all out of place, as if seeing actual work. Everything else is quite neat and kept in its place. There is one point in the entire library that is slightly uneven, which is where there is a gap in one of the shelves from where there is a book that has been taken out. And that book currently lies upon the writing desk, alongside a smaller, more portable notebook that you recognise from rescuing Eldrin back when you first met him. And he picks said notebook up and hands it to you with a particular page open. Have a flick through this from there onwards, will you? Neris will do so, pretending this is the first time he has done this. You do notice that while there's some of it that is from your last time reading it, there is a lot of it that is new. Further understandings gleaned from the experience written out formally after the fact. Roll me an arcana check to see how well you synthesize the information. That was so close to a 20. A dirty 20, actually. Okay. So, there's some discussion on the strangeness of animancy. While it appears to have traits that almost seamlessly blend the three different approaches to magic. So the three approaches to magic are basic principle that you are aware of. They are arcane, divine, primal. Most casters have a focus in one, those some kind of cross-pollinate their research, so to speak, to draw from other fields of research. But animancy, it seems, at least based on what you're reading, seems to have a weird way of blending all three practices in a more even way than is typical. 
it is hard to embrace and to apply true animancy without knowledge and technique of all three branches of magic. How interesting. There is great potential here. There is. So what conclusions can you draw from my hypotheses, theories, and speculations? The first thing that strikes me is this blend between the three approaches of magic. One can spend their entire life devoted to the divine and have great knowledge of solely the divine. However, for one to study animancy, one could learn everything. That is one possibility. As valid a hypothesis as any of mine, to master it in a way akin to any specialist in one field or another is, well, it seems quite the challenge. But what if there was a way to make the divine arcane with this sort of magic? If one can utilize all three approaches, there is the option for a more controlled primal energy. There is the option for arcane healing without the use of the divine. Yes, there are a few that I have encountered who have managed to blend two of the branches of magic quite uh, seamlessly. Mistress Lim over in Erethold, or um, uh, Madame Ruderin, who seems to base herself everywhere and nowhere at once these days. But beyond that, there are very few who seem to have blended divine and arcane and had anywhere near the success that I would suspect you would need to blend all three. Primal and arcane are practically unheard of. Primal and arcane are such antitheses to each other. That would be the challenge. That would be the goal. Also, you mentioned some casters who are practicing animancy. I've not heard of a Mistress Lim before. Uh, she does not practice animancy, but uh, she is one of the members of an organization in Erethold, uh, the Arcane Convocation, one of the uh, longer-serving members at this stage. A necromancer of sorts who uh, is in focus of the curative properties of necromancy as opposed to the uh, abuse of the undeath sides of the art. Could definitely have benefits and potentially reduce a lot of the stigma around that particular school of magic. Yes. And on the other hand, of course, Madame Ruderin, impossible to pin down, impossible to find sometimes. Indeed, I have had some interactions with the professor before. I'm actually awaiting a reply on a letter that I sent. It was sent uh, via pigeon, not magic, so it will take some time if it has not already gotten yes. lost. Do you have a more expeditious way of sending? Uh, I absolutely do, however, I was quite exhausted at the time. I was unable to procure the magical energies required to send such a message. And of course I needed to send a rather long message, and such magics are, at least at the moment, foreign to me. may be able to help with that. It could be beneficial to both of us to be able to commune at length 
with a little more regularity. You honor me by assisting. Just one moment, and you see he goes to uh, one of the shelves in the library and quickly dashes his fingers through the spines before he comes upon a particular book and pops it out and flicks to a specific page. Do you have your spell book on you? Which one? Neris kind of chuckles to himself at a little joke and then pulls out his main spell book, yes. Feel free to take the time you need. And he places this book on the writing desk. I have some ink there. Feel free to uh, use it to transcribe the spell. It is a fairly simple enchantment, though it uh, does take a bit of energy. And if you find yourself able to take the time, as you continue discussing theories, you can take the time to transcribe at no cost, because Aldrin is providing the inks, Golda's Speedy Courier into your spellbook. Perfect. We will do so. And yeah, so you transcribe and you discuss theories, and that, I think, is where we're going to leave that scene. Magic. Rue, one night during the week, you find yourself drifting off into your slumber, or you're shutting down, as you do, but you rest, and as occasionally happens, this night you find your mind occupied by a strange vision. You see swirling landscapes and starscapes and magicscapes that don't seem to be particularly well-defined as anything. Occasionally you feel like you may have spotted something that might resemble something, but by the time you can focus in on it, it has whisked away into nothingness again, into an abstract ephemeral vortex. And beneath it, there is this thrumming sound. And as it reaches a crescendo, you notice that it is saying something. Cast adrift among the plains. The words echo out, feathering off into the distance. Lights and dark, a madman's game. And when it all comes crashing down, who will be sundered, lost, and found? And that stanza just repeats and repeats as a slow, quiet, thrumming voice voice throughout this vision as if adrift upon the magic and then the morning comes and you are well rested as normal but with strange sensation that you have seen an omen of what may be to come <laughs>